Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. So what this subject today is going to be is 100% about the understanding of MMT on the global stage. You know, frequently I interview people from around the world, China, Ukraine, Australia, England, Ireland, Scotland, freaking Africa, all over. Pakistan, coming up, by the way, you don't know that, but it's coming soon. Iceland, all over the world, we talk about modern monetary theory. It is not just a USA thing, USA, USA. It's not just a US-based thing. It is a fundamental lens of how a sovereign free-floating fiat currency works. And it's understanding, just like with the spectrum of socialism and capitalism, how it kind of ebbs and flows across the spectrum. It, you, know, you have various levels of social means of production versus you know, capitalist means of production and all these different aspects of life in general. It's never just cut and dry. It's never just black and white. It's neither you know, either or. It's always on a spectrum, right? And so with that, you understand that across the globe, there are countries that have various levels of monetary sovereignty, various levels of capacity, the ability to produce and create goods and services that they can purchase within their own home-based currency. Now, you start getting into foreign trade and things like that, balance of payments, and understanding how countries do their business through a sovereign fiat uh, system, the system of payments back and forth, it's a little bit trickier. But it's not that tricky, it really isn't. So I wanna take you all on a journey real quickly through the United States. When the United States was formed, there was a lot of different colonial currencies. There was a lot of different, like just weird ways of doing payments. I mean, they had tally straws, they had like tobacco, they had like strikes on a different, um, you know, like a stick. Um, You had all kinds of different ways of conducting, uh, you know, trade and stuff, but it was using different forms of currency. And one of the big things there was that the currency they knew, just like a coupon, after you've spent it, it didn't matter anymore. It wasn't like some big thing. And they'd burn these things. You know, they would burn the old colonial currency. They would burn the stuff. It didn't really matter. You you can create a currency out of anything. In fact, you look at like UMKC with the buckaroo or here with Yeva, Narcissian, who just came on with, from Marshall and Franklin, they created these Franklins, I think it was called, or Marshalls, I'm not sure which one it was. But ultimately, you realize that no matter where you are, if I have a currency and you say, I'm not gonna take that in payment, that the government or the currency issuer can say, hmm, you got a good point. I've gotta create an obligation payable only in that currency for you to care about it, okay? So that's where the tax comes in. The tax 
is a fundamental aspect of a fiat currency driving its acceptance, driving its use, that obligation. It's not tied to a commodity, folks. It's not an issue of whether it is fuel or anything else. It's really a matter of what is the obligation driving you to use that currency, okay? So in the United States, we always talk about the fact that you must pay your taxes in U.S. dollars. You can't pay them in Bitcoin, chicken neck, sexual favors, tobacco, gold, anything else. It must be U.S. dollars. Why? Because the U.S. government, in this case, doesn't need its own currency. It created it. It's a coupon. It's putting them out there like airline miles. If you're a U.S. air, you don't sit there and say, oh, my God, we've run out of airline miles to give out to people. Now, you may run out of seats on the plane. You may run out of flights but you're not gonna run out of airline miles. They're freely created, just like US dollars are freely created. Hopefully that makes sense. You go to a concert, they can print a million tickets, doesn't mean anything, because if you don't have one of the 16,000 assigned seats, then the ticket's useless, it doesn't mean anything. But the fact is, is that they don't keep that ticket and reuse it for a rainy day. They rip that ticket stub off, you keep it and put it in some scrapbook album, but the rest of it, that just goes away. It doesn't mean anything. It's done. It's done its job. That's it. And it's the same with the U.S. dollar. The U.S. government spends it once into the economy, cycles around the economy, does its business, and then it leaves the economy via a tax, deletes it. It's gone. Okay. It's the same way that it would be done in Africa, in Zimbabwe, in Weimar, Germany, in Venezuela, in any country really, that issues its own currency. But remember, I started this thing off with there's a spectrum. Some countries give up some of their sovereignty by pegging their currency to a commodity like gold. They give up monetary sovereignty and make it the gold standard. They give up monetary sovereignty like in some of these smaller countries, and they peg it to U.S. dollars, meaning they somehow or another got to get enough U.S. dollars in their back pocket for reserve to handle payment clearing because they are on the dollar standard, okay? This is what they call a peg. They associate the value of their currency to another currency. But in order to hold that peg, they have to have enough of this to make this equal that. Does that make sense? They have to have reserves of whatever they're pegging their currency to. Well, in the United States back in the day, we had a gold uh, reserve that we pegged our currency to. When we realized there wasn't enough gold in the world to expand, to create a, uh, a flow that would be sustainable, Tricky Dick took us off the gold standard in 1972, okay? So the Bretton Woods Accord was a worldwide kind of dollar standard, and the dollar standard was pegged to the gold standard. Does this make sense? Hopefully it does. I mean, if it does, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. You're, you're, you're assigning a value based on a commodity, right? And so you oftentimes hear about the devaluation of that commodity by having this much gold reserves, and then you slice it in the pie. I've said this a million times, but it's important to get. You have a pie, it's an amount of gold, it's all the gold reserves you have, and you print money against that gold supply. Now, if you only have eight slices of pizza and you print $8, it's a dollar per slice. But what if you go ahead and you print a lot more money? Now, all of a sudden, instead of being eight slices, you got to slice it up into 16 slices, okay? Or whatever, whatever the amount is. 
and you start getting less and less and less. That's the devaluing of the currency. But you could see the Bitcoiners lying, literally. When I say lying, I mean straight through their teeth. Liar, liar, right? Lying, liars, right? There is no peg. The US dollar isn't pegged to anything. So you can't debase it. You can't do that. You cannot do that. Okay. Now, what can happen though is that outside the United States, people can choose to save in your money. They can choose that because it facilitates their transactions with your country. But ultimately, it really doesn't matter whether we're the world reserve currency or not except for control on the empire scale, right? Because we can cut people off with a flick of a button. It's real simple stuff, right? The, the payment system is really the real constraint there on the rest of the world that is on the quote unquote dollar standard. And so this is why you hear a lot of people saying they want to get away from the dollar. They want to get off the dollar. It's not the collapse of the dollar. What it means is that we lose some empire, which is not a bad thing if you're actually a leftist and you're looking for the United States to be a better corporate citizen, a better citizen of the globe, et cetera, right? So what do you look at when you look at these other smaller countries and you say, well, MMT doesn't pertain to them, does it? Yes, MMT does. It describes the state of their sovereignty. Do they have real resources for sale? Do they have the real resources in the ground? Do they have the productive capacity to turn those real resources into usable goods and services? Do they have water? Do they have food? Do they have energy independence? Each of these factors plays into the role of monetary sovereignty. Each, you, could, you could have monetary sovereignty as the highest order of sovereignty. And then below that, you would have energy sovereignty, food sovereignty, re, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is that you would want to get. If you don't have sovereignty in that space, then you're dependent on imports. Okay. Now, imports, sometimes that position isn't really your choice. People like an import, they buy an import. But as a rule, the United States government, for example, has become a net importer of oil. Does it have to be a net importer of oil? Absolutely not. Not only does it not need to be an importer of, but it doesn't even need to be on oil. We could be on renewables. That's another story for another day. But the point I'm making is, is that each country has varying layers, levels of monetary sovereignty. Okay. And so MMT describes them in the lens in which they are. It doesn't create some ideological framework for them. It doesn't preclude them from being better in the future because sovereignty is something you have to earn and plan for. So what do you what what would a developing nation do to try to become a monetary sovereign to be able to have a free-floating fiat currency that they can use and leverage to provide public services in their country, right? This is typically what you hear when people try to say that MMT is a U.S. phenomenon. Well, the USA clearly has dollar hegemony, which gives us special rights and special privileges, if you will, special access to being able to leverage that currency to get things around the world that we otherwise couldn't get unless we brought manufacturing home, unless we brought energy production home, unless we did all these things back home. But it doesn't change anything. The difference would be that instead of spending that money outside the country, 
which really is irrelevant as well, because remember, money circles through the economy and is taxed out of existence. Doesn't matter whether it's offshored as a leakage or whether it's kept domestically. You just have a different thing you would do. The government would need to spend more money into the economy in an import position, and it would need to maybe rely more on sales and stuff like that internally with an export position because we would be bringing money in. And it doesn't matter. Remember, money is temporary. It's just a measure. Doesn't mean anything. Don't you sweat whether or not we're bringing in more yuan into the country because we just convert it to our own currency because we don't use yuan at the store. You don't go with a yen or remnibi or a ru ruble or anything else. That money is converted. It's kept at the Fed to be used for something else, to be used for facilitating transactions in a foreign currency. Okay. It's what you decide to save in so that you can facilitate those transactions. This is why places like China will hold a certain number of dollars to facilitate transactions in the United States. This is why Russia might have a different position of holding U.S. dollars. But it doesn't mean anything, right? It doesn't add or subtract anything. It's merely a convenience. Because when you think about what the world reserve currencies are, it's a basket of different currencies. I mean. Japan is one of the world reserve currencies. The pound is one of the world reserve currencies. The euro is one of the world reserve currencies. Does this make sense? I hope it makes sense. I hope it makes sense. But you would never, unless you just literally don't have any clue, zero clue about economics, would you ever want to see us pegged to a, a commodity like silver or gold? You would literally have to be completely utterly swept up in bullshit to think that's a good idea i mean you couldn't be able to tie two words together and make a sentence to try and make that sound good because it's not good it's stupid it literally limits your ability to do anything necessary like public services like medicare for all like a green new deal like any of these things you would have to be a neo maxi zundweeby to think that having a peg to silver or gold cotton, sexual favors, Bitcoin, anything would be a good idea. It would be the dumbest of ideas, okay? But this is the sound finance you typically see in the Reich wing of the world. The Reich wing has this fetish about commodity money. And sadly, even the left to some degree, going back to the time of Karl Marx and Engels, talked specifically in all of capital, Marx's writings in the Communist Manifesto, et cetera, this stuff targets commodity money based in gold standard logic, okay? So it's very important to understand that you can't forklift that understanding into the modern vernacular because it's not accurate any longer. It doesn't have any standing. But all the rest of the writing of Marx is still valid. There's nothing wrong with the framework and understanding the role of capital and the role of labor. The problem comes when you start trying to insert labor theory of value and all this other surplus, all these other things, because they don't really translate anymore. It's not the same thing. Hurts, but it shouldn't hurt. It's just reality. Because if you understood Marx and Engels, you understand that they took this at a scientific approach. That scientific approach would tell you things change. It's no longer commodity money. So if it didn't stay commodity money, then that means you need to change. That's a scientific method. That's what Marx was all about. So if you want to claim to be a Marxist, Stick with the scientific method. Stop trying to harken back to a religion that is no longer valid and go forward and understand Marx's words through the lens of a fiat currency, which is what MMT gives you.
Okay. But that goes around the world. Okay. Japan is this tiny little country, this island nation, mountainous, etc. In no way, shape, or form, if we follow everyone's logic, should Japan be a monetary sovereign, right? And yet Japan is a monetary sovereign. Japan is not only a monetary sovereign, but it has something close to 300% debt to GDP ratio. Now, if you think about that, that's insane, right? Except Japan buys its own debt because money is nothing more than a measure. It's a unit of account. It is a patent. It is the legal authority of that government, that currency issuing government. And as long as Japan can manufacture its own goods and services, has its own energy independence, has its own food sovereignty, grain sovereignty, whatever, it is a-okay. Think about that, okay? Think about this. This is super, super important. Now, if you want to hear a really good explanation of why labor theory of value is not relevant today, please check out my podcast with Steve Keen on macro and cheese. We give a deep dive explaining why it's incorrect. And it's not because we're anti-Marx. In fact, if you listen to Steve Keen, everything he did was founded through Marx. He read through Marx. He literally was a devotee of Marx, okay? But Marx got something wrong, and that was labor theory of value. And ironically, Marx even knew it then when he wrote the stuff. And one of the few failings of Marx was that moment right there. And unfortunately, a lot of people, because they don't have a deeper understanding, get caught up in that. And they really, really, it shatters their reality when they realize that that one thing, that small thing doesn't invalidate Marx. But to them, they think everything is contingent on this labor theory of value. And it's not true. It's not true. But anyway, when you look at global systems and you begin to realize it's very important to understand who the currency issuer is, okay? So in the United States, we know that Congress, based on uh, legal authority through the Constitution, however shitty that Constitution may be, Article 1, Section 8 gives the power of currency uh, issuance to Congress. Article 1, Section 8. Look it up. Look it up. Pull it up. So the easiest thing you ever did was look up Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution, the power to tax and to spend comes from Congress. Now, it talks about the power of the purse, and that's indicative of coins and all this other crap. And you got some weird folks. Folks, when I say weird, I'm talking about weird folks that wrap up and whether that's coins or whether that's digital. Well, at the time it was written, I don't think the founding fathers, okay, of the colonial freaking empire I don't believe that the founding fathers understood anything about a computer. I doubt they knew what Windows was. And I most assuredly tell you they had no idea what IP version 6 is, Sonnet Rings, DWDM, or any other kind of fast packet technology, Ethernet, whatever. Okay. So you're going to have to get over that. You're going to have to get over it. One of the tricks of the trade to get over it deal with the realities that you're in the middle of. What we're in the middle of is a computer age where we have fiat currency largely spent into existence with keystrokes, keystrokes, okay? And it's all backed in the United States in particular by the full faith and credit of the United States government and all the goods and services and labor and ability, real resources that we bring to the table. And let me tell you, if we suddenly decided 
we don't care about imports. We want to manufacture everything in-house. We want to do Well, guess what? Now we got to deal with what do we do with all of our waste? What do we do with all of our pollution? What do we do with all of the, the stuff, the travel back and forth with people having to go to and from jobs and going into factories once again and all the other things that Americans have grown used to not doing, okay? Because we have exported the labor. We have exported the production. But that's a choice. That's not God-breathed forever. And whether you think that's a good idea or not, it could be a great idea to have good quality trade amongst partners around the country, around the world, okay? But the problem is when it becomes predatory, when it becomes uh, you know, a succubus, when it becomes a leech, a parasite, literally predating and extracting, that's when it becomes really, really problematic. And you got to realize that is the nature of what we call global capitalism today. When you understand global capital and its desire through the neoliberal paradigm of what their desires are, their desires are to create states that are no longer sovereign. They are now dependent on their IMF uh, structural adjustments and the money being infused into them by the IMF, which is a arm of the United States government, okay? So countries not realizing the MMT story are instead entering into these predatory arrangements where they give up their public space and they open up markets so that capital can come in and devour them and suck up all the real resources and extract everything from them, like a big giant sucking sound. If you remember, what's his face? Uh, and the big giant sucking sound. Oh, Ross Perot. Okay. If you remember Ross Perot, he wasn't wrong. He maybe had a lot of other things loopy, but he wasn't wrong. The UFOs taking, you know, spying on his daughter or whatever, eh, whatever. Right. The fact is, is that we have a system set up to blind us from how easy it is to create a system that allows smaller countries to provide robust services like a job guarantee or to provide robust services like, you know, energy independence. But see, you have to have a system set up that recognizes these are targets and goals to strive for. So they will oftentimes find relationships that are in fact predatory because there is no alternative, because that is the structure of our world today. We have created a predatory environment that takes the global south and literally sucks everything out of it. And so the North lives fat. The South is literally another generation. I mean, like, uh, uh, like it's almost like going in the way back machine, how badly they've been abused by the North's extraction. But that doesn't change the fact that MMT still matters to them. In order to avoid those predatory arrangements, it's important to have MMT ambassadors, people that know this stuff, go down there and help advise those governments how they can detach from the big succubus that is the IMF, how they can detach from dollar hegemony even. You know, if, if that's a concern, if they're to teach them how to be independent, to teach them these stories and these lessons. And unfortunately, the United States, you have to look the devil in the eye. What do we do? We use our military as a way of clearing markets to keep these folks towing the line, to keep them at heel, okay? 
So these are concerns of power dynamics. They're not concerns of economics. The system still works the way I've described. So money is not a conception. Money is a legal unit of account. In other words, it's a law. It may be a concept, but it has the power of force to enact it. It's not just some nebulous thing that if you suddenly lose faith in it, it doesn't work. Oh, lose faith, please, why don't you, in the dollar, and watch how quickly that loss of faith ends up in a jail cell, okay? So these are things that you must understand, the coercive nature of taxation and why it's used. It's not used to fund programs. Sadly, you've been lied to for a very long time, and you've repeated that lie to your friends, family, neighbors, kids, you name it. You've probably taken tests in school and finished telling that lie there, and you didn't even know you were lying because you were just mindlessly following what you've been told. Because why would you doubt what these powers that be tell you? Why would you doubt the school system? Why would you doubt your elected leaders? Why would you allow, uh, ignore the economists when they're telling you, I'm an expert and this is how it works? Test the truth. Inspect the truth. Reveal the truth. Look inside the system. Crack the hood on it. Make sure what you're seeing is real. Okay? And this is why when we go to war, you never see them talking about raising taxes to pay for the war. Have you ever noticed that? Seriously, have you ever noticed that? I mean, this is one of those low-hanging fruits that the kids that don't want to hear about economics typically pick up on when they're trying to show, they make a meme, hey, how come we always have money for war, but we never have money for schools or whatever? Well, it's a great question. But we do, because we neither have nor don't have that money. And that's kind of where the sovereignty kicks in. The capacity to do, based on the real resources purchased in your unit of account, in your country. What can your dollar do for you in your country? Okay? The government, by its definition, is the price setter, because what it pays for with that money, because it doesn't print money and just leave it there. It prints money and pays for things. It doesn't print it. It spends it into existence. You see what I'm saying? So when you hear the people out there going, oh, MMT just says to print money. First of all, you know they don't know what they're talking about. That's that's like a big flashing light. Do, do. Don't know what I'm talking about. Don't know what I'm talking about. When that happens, that is a big flashing light. You hear someone say printing money, you immediately know they don't know what they're talking about. Like That's like code. You're walking down the street, somebody says print money, go, Ah, they don't know what they're talking about. You're good. It's instantly you know that they don't know what they're talking about. Immediately know they don't know what they're talking about. Okay? So countries spend money into existence. Their currency issuer spends it into existence because you couldn't pay your tax if it didn't. Money starts when the government spends it in. Banks have a charter from their government that allows them to use the unit of account to provide loan services. It's supposed to be the original public bank. That's the way banks were originally intended to be chartered. But because of neoliberalism and greed, the government has slowly but surely deregulated banks and allowed them to do more and more. We had that collapse during the Great Depression. We had Ferdinand Pecora come in there, show all the corruption. All of a sudden we had the Securities Exchange Committee created. We had all sorts of other laws created on the books. We had Glass-Steagall created to split the banks up from investment 
to savings and loan. You understand what I'm saying? They split it up. But lo and behold, the Democrats, led by brother Bill Clinton, repealed Glass-Steagall. And sure enough, he was the first jackass to run the surplus. And when he ran that surplus, it was all riding on a very disruptive technology called the Internet. The Internet had just come boom, right? So there was all this dogwalking.com, pickmybooger.com, .net, .this, .that. There was a thousand ISPs in the world. You were at PSI this, AOL that, you name it. Then all of a sudden, the consolidation occurred and the industry shrunk. And this happened globally too. And you saw the recession that hit when Bush took over. Now you can hate Bush, which we all should because it's a warmonger and a war criminal. But his recession that he inherited from brother Bill Clinton was a direct result of taxing more out of the economy than spending it. If you remember, Bill Clinton was also the jackal that redefined welfare and really, really screwed mothers, single mothers in particular, on welfare. Okay. But all of this should play into your understanding around the world. See, what happened in Europe was something very, very interesting. Originally, Italy had their own currency, Greece had their own currency, France had their own currency, all of them had their own currency, Germany had their own currency. And then what happened? They created the euro and they all gave up direct monetary sovereignty in terms of the spectrum, right? They no longer have the ability to issue the euro. The euro is issued by the European Central Bank. It's an extra national banking system. So in other words, if you look across Europe, Many of those countries function similarly, not exact, because they have a little bit more flexibility, but they function similarly to United States, where the states are not currency issuers, they are currency users. So this is where the differences come in, but this is all described in MMT. You can really begin to understand the precarity of being a currency user, especially where in the United States, those currency users have balanced budget amendments, okay? Meaning that they can't spend more than they take in in taxes. That's a horrible constraint. And imagine if the United States federal government implemented a balanced budget amendment, just like the states did. That would be awful. Let me take it another step further. It's very important. Keynes created these things called automatic, or he advanced these things called automatic stabilizers. And automatic stabilizers are things that go on beyond the hand of politics. So as the economy ebbs and flows, certain conditions trigger money being spent into the system without an act of Congress. It's already done. It's already agreed to. It's already part of the law, okay? Like unemployment insurance kicks in, like food stamps kick in like subsidies to agriculture kick in. All these different things create buffer stocks. They create buffer stocks to be able to offset those times when the freaking tank is falling, when there's the whole economy would bottom out. They create buffer stocks of corn, buffer stocks of everything. The only thing we don't create buffer stocks of is labor. We create buffer stocks of unemployed people, which is cruel and unusual because we could create a labor standard where we actually employ those people through a federal job guarantee so that we never hit rock bottom. You see? But no, 
people won't listen to that. They won't understand that. They don't want to understand that. I don't know why, but they're resistant to that. But if you look around the world, these are all principles that can be deployed based on your level of sovereignty on all the things you would have to purchase with your currency. So just remember when we talk about the ability for a country to have a sovereign free floating fiat currency, it comes down to their ability to produce goods and services, their ability to be able to manage their own resources internally. And so when you have the extraction take place from the IMF and through these global multinationals coming in and succubusing on their goods and services and labor, et cetera, they are making it so it's more and more and more difficult for them to regain sovereignty unless the focus is on building infrastructure like China is doing in spades right now. You know, their One Belt, One Road initiative is hugely building up capacity, 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 okay? So just think about this when you understand that MMT is not a U.S. phenomenon. We just happen to be the big dogs on the hill right now. But we're watching an empire crumbling from feckless leadership, from very, very ironclad right-wing neocon belief systems and foreign policy. We have lost the idea of what it means to be a good corporate citizen, a good global citizen, a good country citizen for the world, a good citizen of the world. We've forgotten what that means, if we ever knew what it meant, okay? So when you think about this subject, look at each country and ask yourself, do they have food sovereignty? Are they able to produce their own food? Do they have energy sovereignty? Do they have the ability to produce enough energy within their own domestic uh, reach? Do they have the ability to do all the things they need to do? And if they don't, there are aspects that they're giving up at that point. Now, does it mean that they can't buy things uh, outside with imports, even if they don't have total monetary sovereignty? No, of course they can, but the cost may be even greater, okay? There may be different things. They may not accept their currency at the level that which they want. And so the more they quote unquote print without having that sovereignty backing it up. Remember, the United States has the full faith and credit, which means all the real resources at its backing. Okay. But if these other countries don't have those resources, they may have to enter into a kind of a partial, partial on that spectrum until they work hard and earn sovereignty to get those things up and running. This is why it's important to understand why our extraction in these smaller, less developed countries is absolutely brutalizing them. It's absolutely decimating them. That's why we have to understand the high cost of low prices. We need to understand the Walmart method. We need to understand these things so that we can really begin to understand what the impact is on the rest of the world and why they so desperately want to get away from us. Okay. It's the countries that have bought into the neoliberal mindset that make up the partners, if you will, of the United States. It's those neoliberal partners that work with us that have the same goals and aspirations of clearing markets, making countries more hospitable to big business. And that my friends, is the story right now of why MMT is not just a U.S. phenomenon.
Now, tomorrow, I'm going to talk to Eric Dean. He'll be our guest on Macro and Cheese, 8 a.m. Please check out the podcast. It's really, really good. Uh, Eric is a stitch. He's really freaking funny. Um, and it's all about bullshit jobs. It's really about understanding money market, money manager capitalism, and how corporations have largely stopped producing anything. And they are now just basically a stock portfolio to manage. And many of the jobs that are in those corporations are largely pushing paper from one side of the desk to the other. And how that is just like a soul sucking existence because everybody wants to do something that matters. You don't want to do something that's bullshit, that's worthless. You got to wake up, get a tie on, rush in for it. So listen, Eric is a fantastic talker. And I think you'll get a lot of fun out of it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and see if I can get us out of here. But in the meantime, please continue to check us out here. And last night, I did a show over there on Status Coup called Let's Get Ready to Grumble. It was kind of fun. It was our first take. Um, it'll be coming back, not next week, but the week after, uh, please do check that out. It's going to be on Thursday nights, um, at, uh, 5 PM Eastern time. And on Tuesday nights, I am usually joining Jordan as co-host over there at status quo as well. So please check it out, but look at our own internal stuff here. We've got Luke Parcher on Sundays and Luke does a fantastic job. Great, great, great show. And the Luke Parcher show is usually cut up. So you get to see Luke Parcher all over the place here at RPIA. Uh, and also check out Jody Newell, who does the Up and Up series. A lot of really great focus on activism and activists and uh, ways that you can really get involved to change the country. And please, folks, we are a 501c3 that is 1,000 million percent dependent on you donating to us to be able to get the kinds of goods and services inside of here to make us be able to do some really cool kick-ass stuff. So if you could become a monthly donor to Real Progressives, uh, I would greatly appreciate it. It facilitates the education side of our organization. And so without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and say thank you all so much for your time. And I am out of here. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives.